believe it or not, and why wouldn't you believe it? It is 12.01 Christmas morning. The kitties are asleep. The wife is asleep. I am sitting in the glow of a Christmas tree. Having an eggnog made out of bourbon and ice cubes. And I would like to talk to you about drugs. Drugs are right and drugs are wrong. Drugs are medicine and drugs are poison. Drugs are party favors and drugs are weapons. Drugs are necessary, but drugs are evil. Drugs are mind-expanding, but drugs are mind-destroying. Really doesn't matter on which side of the pharmaceutical fence you stand, because tonight's episode isn't about issues. It's not about politics. It's not about right or wrong. It's not about legality, nor is it about morality. And it is certainly not intended to have any sort of social commentary whatsoever. These stories are 100% true. Tonight's stories are about drugs as horror. Tonight's stories are about drugs and they tackle the questions that no one ever considers when they are not on drugs. Do drugs alter our perceptions or do they enhance our perceptions? Do drugs distort reality or do they allow us to peer through the veil and see reality more clearly? And perhaps most importantly, if the drugs that we take allow us to expand our minds and see things, Do they also allow those things to see us? I call this episode A Head Full of Acid. Drinking whiskey in the kitchen and telling scary stories around the fire. Music, monsters, and mayhem, killers, cannibals, and cults. Fearful fiction and furious fact, tall tales, and terrible truths. This is a Scary Home Companion. So, did you hear about this psychopharmacist they caught up in Vancouver? Seriously, it's the craziest thing I've heard in quite some time. I assume that you know what sleep paralysis is, yes? Um, It's when you get locked inside your own body. Your mind wakes up and is conscious and aware, but your body is still asleep and completely paralyzed. It isn't super common, but it's common enough. And while it's not something that can kill you, it's got to be scary as all hell, I would suppose. A few years ago, I saw a documentary. It's called The Nightmare. It's on Netflix. And uh, all hyperbole aside, it's the scariest documentary I've ever seen. Um, This documentary features interviews with a lot of different people that have all suffered from sleep paralysis. And none of them have ever met. They don't know each other. And yet they all tell similar stories of when they are paralyzed, seeing these so-called shadow people come into the room 
stand over them and watch them while they're locked in. So anyway, this pharmacist in Vancouver, uh, Rampling, I think his name was, he must have seen that movie too. And he got obsessed with sleep paralysis and he got obsessed with the idea of the shadow people. And long story short, he wanted to become a boogeyman. I guess he didn't want to go full throttle and kill people, but he wanted that thrill of fear. So he started slipping into people's houses at night and drugging them, injecting them with a drug called succinylcholine, which is a strong paralytic. You know, uh, apparently this pharmacist had ready access and no oversight. So he paralyzes people. And then he'll move out of the room, make some sort of noise to wake them up. They wake up, they're locked in. They can look around the room. They can breathe just barely. But that's it. And then they see a shadowy figure in black glide into the room. Sometimes he wore a mask. Sometimes he wore face paint, apparently. He always dressed dark. He always clung to the side of the room so they could see him. And he would essentially haunt these people. He would stalk them. Hang around for an hour or two, however long it took, and then just leave. He never killed anybody. He never physically abused or molested anybody. He just haunted them for a while. And then this is the brilliant part. The next morning or whenever the drugs wore off or whenever these people would inevitably flip out, wouldn't you? But then they would do some research online, or they would talk to a friend, or they would talk to a doctor, or they would talk to a therapist, and inevitably, they would hear about sleep paralysis. So this guy Rampling, he does this for two years, and no one even knew he existed. Until one night, one of his victims had a heart attack due to fear, died on the spot myocardial infarction. They did an autopsy. That's when they found injection marks, realized this guy had been drugged with succinylcholine, and with no other avenue to pursue, they went public with the story. That's when tons of people started coming out of the woodwork. As of right now, the last time I checked... There were 26 different people giving similar reports. 26. This guy really wanted to be a boogeyman. You got to hand it to him. Which I get. I get it maybe better than anyone this side of Stephen King. Scaring the hell out of people is something that you start off enjoying. But it slowly becomes an addiction all its own.
Recently, one of my listeners submitted a personal account to the show's email. Did you know that you can write to the show? A scary home companion at gmail.com. Feel free. This particular listener asked me to withhold his name due to the sensitive nature of his story and the overall weirdness of his experience. It has to do with DMT. DMT is a psychedelic drug. Some call it the spirit molecule. There's loose talk that it gives visions, collective hallucinations, and that it opens doorways. This letter, this email, is what one man had to say about it. The letter begins... I'm telling you this story as someone who doesn't suggest that anyone should try DMT. You should tread lightly, even with how you perceive what you read online. If you do decide to go down the rabbit hole, there are some truths you might see that could change you forever. A few things to be upfront about. Yes, I am trying to scare you and your listeners. Yes, this changed me. Yes, and foremost, I was not ready for it. This is why I cannot stress enough that if someone offers you on a whim to hit their bowl of DMT, ask yourself if you are really ready to swallow that red pill. Some people have used DMT and have entered full psychosis, while others can binge it and act as though it's just a party drug. This is also true with many other psychedelics. But this is precisely why they are so fascinating to me. When you peer into the face of God, you can't begin to fathom what you've seen. Personal note. That's some heavy shit. The letter continues. Don't mistake me for some Bible-thumping conversion artist. I am far from that. But after what I saw on one of the most important moments of my life, I can tell you one thing for certain. Something is out there. And describing it, is nearly impossible. When you take DMT, the effects can vary from person to person based on the amount ingested. But there is one fact that everyone is astonished to hear when it comes to blasting off or having a powerful reaction to the drug. And this is that many people report seeing the same things. I don't mean this as in they just see the same kind of colors. People claim to see entities. Entities that attempt to guide them or just mess with them. They also claim to see tricksters that appear to look like machine elves. Let me repeat that. Tricksters that appear like machine elves. I make up a lot of shit for this show, uh, but I never thought of machine elves. 
Returning to the letter. I had tried DMT a few times before this particular night that I am referencing. The effects were interesting, definitely felt this kind of heat around my head, and did mildly hallucinate, but it was very chill. I have never tried LSD, but have ingested my fair share of magic mushrooms to know enough of what it's like to trip hard. And from what I could tell, with DMT, it seemed rather weak in comparison. My friend kept telling me I would know if I blasted off, but I kept taking him as patronizing me, since he seemed to always hit it a bit harder, and it hit him harder in return. The night I blasted off, I had drank a lot of alcohol, which was a common theme with me and my best friend at the time. We had both drank a considerable amount of whiskey and beer that night because we were going to be sober for the next month, if not longer. We had decided ahead of time to smoke DMT sort of as a send-off for what was going to come. He packed up a bowl of DMT for us, and he turned the lights off. We kept the TV off and the music off. We had a rule when we did this. Hit it, hold it in, pass it, keep holding it in, get the pipe passed back, and then breathe out before you hit it again. This time around, when it came to my last hit, I hit the pipe the hardest I have ever hit it since we started using this stuff. My lungs filled with the thick, nasty-tasting smoke. I could feel my lungs surging, about to burst. I let out a long breath, and I closed my eyes. When I closed my eyes, I could see everything in the room in front of me as though my eyes were open. The coffee table the TV, the DVD collection, the couch my friend was laying on, and my friend, everything was illuminated. And then it started to glow green and red. As the effects and the colors washed over me, I saw diamonds forming all over the room, like barnacles growing out of nowhere. Something strange started happening then. Something I've never felt in my life. I completely lost hold of reality. To say you've completely lost hold of reality as a declarative sentence, it's kind of intense. The letter continues. My vision filled with the diamonds but they started forming faster and faster, obscuring my vision. I decided to open my eyes at this point, and to my horror, all the shapes were exactly as I was seeing them with my eyes closed. I panicked. Wordlessly, I stood up, I left the couch, and I started walking towards my friend's kitchen.
I felt myself slowly leaving this reality and entering somewhere I wasn't supposed to be. My friend was calling out after me, saying to sit still or they would see me. But it sounded distant, as if he was shouting at me down a long, twisting tunnel. I kept grasping for something familiar to bring me out, but I felt like I was being grabbed by an invisible force and launched at the speed of light. At this point, I collapsed to the kitchen floor and closed my eyes. What little bit of me was left of me thought that I had somehow overdosed on the DMT. I thought that I had gone into cardiac arrest and my mind raced. What was my friend going to tell my wife? Where was I going to be going now that I was dead? Was this the beginning of me or was it the end of me? If DMT makes you this philosophical and self-reflective, keep it out of my mitts. The letter continues. I started to calm down out of nowhere, still seeing diamonds and fractals throughout my sight of vision and not able to know where I was exactly. Suddenly, it was like a huge veil had been lifted from my eyes, and I saw a beautiful cube-like structure. It was a machine from what I could tell, and it was made out of pure energy, color, and light. Not good or evil, just potential that could possibly do anything. It was a kaleidoscope of wonder, something that felt very familiar. At this point, I was transported to a chamber of sorts. A smallish room that was simple enough but held some kind of weird energy. It's hard to describe with words. I felt something touch my brain, like a hand checking for a fever. I don't know what it was, but this thing was changing something in the frontal lobe of my brain. I felt something fizzle, which, trust me, wasn't a good thing to be feeling at this time. I stood up, but I fell down. I fell down, but I stood up. And then I was on my back, on a beach, black sand underneath me. The air was still swimming with fractals, splitting open dimensions. It was hard to see anything past the shapes in the air. They started to throb right in pace with the heartbeat, which I only now realized was pounding in my head. The black sand started to turn back into cold kitchen tile. And right there, in between here and there, a shape walks up to me. It walked awkwardly. And it was very tall and unsettlingly skinny. And then I saw it was so skinny because it had no arms. All around his feet, were hands. 
It looked like there were hundreds of severed hands, and the more I looked, the more I realized the entire beach was swarming with hands. And then I felt one of them on my chest crawling across my belly. And that freaked me out enough to come back. It was not a severed hand on my chest. It was my friend sitting on the floor next to me trying to keep me calm. We talked a bit about this experience, but it wasn't until weeks later when I was finally able to grasp what I felt. It took weeks more to process what I had experienced into something I could describe. It took another two months after that to write this. The experience is very hard to capture on paper or in words at all. It's like your head cracks open and your dreams and your spirit pour out. But it's such an intense feeling and a complete experience that you can't know how to begin recounting it. When I read this back, it all sounds wrong. It sounds incomplete. It sounds not enough. When I heard your podcast about the hand collector, something clicked in my head. I don't know what it means, but I thought that I should share my personal experience, my account, just so that someone would know. I genuinely feel like I went somewhere. Part of me went somewhere. And I can tell you this. I haven't done DMT since. I don't think that I will do it again. I haven't drank or done any drugs since that night. And I still feel like I went to a real place. Stone cold sober, my brain tells me that what happened that night was real. And I'm not saying that it was. I'm just saying that it might be. If you've met all your days And if you feel there is nothing left to do Turn around and continue your searching I would like to talk to you about acid. I would also like to talk to you about the Gainesville Ripper, Danny Rowling. And most importantly, 
I would like to tell you about the night where I almost convinced myself to become a murderer. But before I can do any of those things, there has to be a little table setting, and I need to discuss the concept of Resident Evil. And, okay, I know. But I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the games. I'm not talking about the movies. I'm talking about the actual idea of Resident Evil. And what that means is that evil exists. It is real. It is a it is a part of the world. It is a part of our existence, just as goodness is. It is a constant force that cannot be defeated any more than nature or gravity. It is here. It always has been here. <clears throat> and it always will be here. This is what resident evil basically means it's that evil is always around there's nothing you can do about it uh, if if anything you have to acknowledge that it is there and placate it from time to time for lack of a better term this story takes place 1997 1998 right in there i forget exactly because it was a hazy time for me Danny Rowling had uh, killed five people in four days in 1990. Murders happen everywhere, all the time, every day, sure. Gainesville has a small-town vibe to it. Gainesville, Florida is a really nice place to live. And And these murders, the Rowling murders, were so savage so brutal and animalistic that they they left a deep impact. They left a wound in the town itself. So this 97, 98, it's a few years later. Rowling's still on death row. He hasn't been put down yet. But he still casts a very long shadow over the town of Gainesville. One night... I am attending a party. Mm. It's a fairly raucous party. There are a lot of people there, and there are a lot of substances there. And at this point in my life, I am partying rather hardy, as often as I can. So, I'm having a good time at the party. I'm having a drink of this having a sip of this, I'm having a puff of this, I'm dropping a tab of this, I'm having a sip of this. It is all good. I am feeling no pain. Until I walk into a particular room and come across a a handful of people, some of whom I know, some of whom I don't know, and they are having a conversation about Danny Rowling. Um, One of the people there apparently knew one of the victims personally, Or so they claimed. I uh, hovered on the edges of this conversation for a few seconds, bleeding into a few minutes, listening to them talk about this horrific murderer and what he had done to the town and 
it really got under my skin. So I decided it was time to step away to bail. So I went outside, lit up a cigarette. I was a heavy smoker at the time. This wasn't my apartment complex, but I lived in a very similar apartment complex, and at the time, Gainesville felt like it was a town filled with very similar apartment complexes. There were 30 or 40 different identical-looking buildings filled with townhouses that just stretched back. I was in absolutely no condition to drive, so I decided to just walk around. So I walked, and I smoked, and I walked behind buildings, and I walked through the parking lot, and I could not shake this Danny Rowling stuff, this Gainesville River stuff. It's it's so ugly, especially in a, in a place so nice. As I'm walking around the complex, smoking, still got a drink in my hand, buzzing, high into the clouds. I noticed that the Venetian blinds in one of the first story windows are cracked open just a little bit. And this place was so uniform that every single window was the same size and every single window had these Venetian blinds. But I saw one that was just a little open and it just drew me like a, like a moth to the flame. So I edge up to it a little closer, just drunken curiosity. And I see inside this couple, a man and a woman, going at it. I'm looking under their bedroom. They're absolutely clueless. And they are in the midst of a passionate bout of sexual congress. And, uh, you know what? I just posted up. I just stood there and I kept watching. And I don't know what that guy had in him. I'm a little jealous. My wife probably would be too. Beside the point. They were going and going and going. And I just couldn't look away. I'm standing there. I'm watching. I'm watching. I'm watching. My cigarette goes out. I light up another cigarette. But the longer I watch, the less sexy it gets. And my that stupid Danny Rowling conversation starts creeping back into my head. And as I'm watching these two people make love, I start to envision what the room would look like if it was splattered with their blood. Much like Rowling had left his victims. I think about what it would look like if they were just absolutely torn apart. Torn to pieces. And and this is where it gets weird. Because I started to see the sense in it. It started to not feel that weird because Gainesville is such a nice place to live. I lived here then, 20-some years later. Still here. Don't think I'll ever move. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to raise a family. And what if, what if that was the cost? What if 
such an idyllic place to live and raise a family? What if something really, truly horrible had to happen every once in a while to keep it going? It's that Resident Evil thing. There, there has to be bad. And if Gainesville is that good, then something that bad needs to happen every once in a while. Doesn't it? Doesn't that make sense to keep the balance? And as I'm standing there smoking and thinking about how much sense it all makes that these that these two people might need to be slaughtered for the benefit of everybody else in the town, that it started to make a lot of sense to me and realized I was sort of fading in and out. So I checked on this couple again to see how it was all going. And at this point, I realized that I was looking into the bedroom of a small child, no more than three or four, barely old enough to be out of a crib. There was no naked couple. There was no hot sex. I had been standing there for God knows how long, staring into the bedroom of a small child and thinking about murder. But still, I stayed there. I lit up another cigarette, and I watched this child sleep through the cracked Venetian blinds, and I revisited those same thoughts. You know, if Gainesville is such a nice place to live, maybe something really horrible needs to happen. Maybe a a couple of consenting adults ripped to shreds. Maybe that isn't bad enough. Maybe the universe was trying to point me in this direction. Maybe it took a, a real sacrifice to keep this going as good as it has been. And I stood there outside that child's window and I watched him sleep little chest rising and falling for hours I didn't even realize how long I'd been there until I was out of cigarettes and I looked down standing over a pile of cigarette butts the sun was starting to come up I'd been watching this child sleep for hours And at this point, I realized how crazy it all was. This thought process, how crazy it all was. But then there was this other thought behind that that said, listen, maybe this is the craziest thought you've ever had, but maybe it's the sanest thought you've ever had. And you've just been too blind. You've been too much of a sheep your whole life to really embrace it. And maybe this little kid really did need to be ripped to shreds. Well, the point of all of this, if there is one, is this. You should never, ever, ever chase blotter acid with mushroom tea. Layering stacking your hallucinogens it may seem like a recipe for a good time but it is not 
The thing about vividly hallucinating is that it isn't just necessarily seeing crazy colors and and wild shit. You can actually experience a complete break. Like, reality can shift. And you can see, feel, you can live something so real that you won't even question it. And that was the night I almost talked myself into being a serial killer. Thank you for listening to another episode of A Scary Home Companion. This week I had help from Jeff Davidson, who was the show's pharmaceutical rep. Weston Lucas was a contributing writer. Music-wise, a lot of great music this week. Two different songs by The Birds of Paradise, Awakened Dreams and Dying. Uh, Check the episode notes for a link to find them on Free Music Archive. Chelsea Oxendine, as always, did the opening theme. And Volfonig and the song Nina Nana, with like a million ends, is what kicked off the show. And the catchy little jingle you're listening to right now is more of it by Apache Tomcat. Feel free to send feedback to a scary home companion at Gmail. Dot com, but please don't ask me about drugs. I'm on far too many watch lists already. <laughs>